Welcome to the Nightmare Emporium. Here we take a deep dive into some grisly tales that are bound to make you lose your head. Now, let's check in with our host, the macabre Marvel herself, to see what she has in store for us this week. <laughs> The Red Room by H.G. Wells, Part 2 I resolved to make a systemic examination of the place at once and dispel the fanciful suggestions of its obscurity before they obtained a hold upon me. After satisfying myself of the fastening of the door, I began to walk about the room, peering round each article of furniture, tucking up the valances of the bed and opening its curtain wide. I pulled up the blinds and examined the fastenings of the several windows before closing the shutters, leapt forward and looked up the blackness of the wide chimney, and tapped each of the dark oak paneling for any secret openings. There were two big mirrors in the room, and on each a pair of sconces bearing candles, and on the mantel shelf too were more candles in china candlesticks. All these I lit one after the other. The fire was laid, an unexpected consideration from the old housekeeper, and I lit it to keep down my disposition to shiver, and when it was burning well, I stood round with my back to it and regarded the room again. I had pulled up an armchair and a table to form a kind of barricade before me, and on this lay my revolver, ready to hand. My precise examination had done me good and I still found the remote darkness of the place and its perfect stillness too stimulating for the imagination. The echoing of the stir and crackling of the fire was of no comfort to me. The shadow in the alcove at the end in particular, that had an undefinable quality of a presence, that odd suggestion of a lurking, living thing that comes so easily in silence and solitude. At last, to reassure myself, I walked with a candle into it and satisfied myself that there was nothing tangible there. I stood that candle upon the floor of the alcove and left it in that position. By this time, I was in a state of considerable nervous tension, though to my reason there was no adequate cause for the condition. My mind, however, was perfectly clear. I postulated quite unreservedly that nothing supernatural could happen, and to pass the time, I began to string some rhymes together, in Goldsby fashion, for the original legend of the place. A few I spoke aloud, but the echoes were not pleasant. For some reason, I also abandoned, after a time, a conversation with myself upon the impossibility of ghosts and haunting. My mind reverted to the three old and distorted people downstairs, and I tried to keep it upon that topic. The somber reds and blacks of the room troubled me. Even with the seven candles I placed, was merely dim. The one in the alcove flared in a draught, and the fire flickering kept the shadows and penumbra perpetually shifting and stirring. Casting about for a remedy, I recalled the candles I had seen in the passage and, with a slight effort, walked out into the moonlight, carrying a candle and leaving the door open, 
and presently returned with as many as ten. These I put in the various knickknacks of china, with which the room was sparsely adorned, lit and placed where the shadows had lain deepest, some on the floor, some in the window recesses, until at last my seventeen candles were so arranged that not an inch of the room but had the direct light of at least one of them. It occurred to me that when the ghost came, I could warn him not to trip over them. The room was now brightly illuminated. There was something very cheery and reassuring in these little streaming flames, and snuffing them gave me an occupation, and afforded a helpful sense of the passage of time. Even with that, however, the brooding expectation of the vigil weighed heavily upon me. It was after midnight that these candles in the alcove suddenly went out, and the black shadow sprang back into its place there. I did not see the candle go out. I simply turned and saw the darkness was there, as one might start and see the unexpected presence of a stranger. By Jove, I said aloud, that drought's a strong one. And taking the matches from the table, I walked across the room in a leisurely manner to relight the corner again. My first match would not strike, and as I succeeded with the second, something seemed to blink on the wall before me. I turned my head involuntarily, and saw that two candles on the little table by the fireplace were extinguished. I rose at once to my feet. Odd, I said. Did I do that to myself in a flash of absent-mindedness? I walked back, relit one, and as I did so, I saw the candle in the right sconce of one of the mirrors wink and go right out, and almost immediately its companion followed it. There was no mistake about it. The flame vanished as if the wick had been suddenly nipped in between a finger and a thumb, leaving the wick neither glowing nor smoking, but black. While I stood gaping, the candle at the foot of the bed went out, and the shadow seemed to take another step towards me. This won't do, said I and first one and then the other candle on the mantel shelf followed. "'What's up?' I cried, with a high note getting into my voice somehow. And at that, the candle on the wardrobe went out. The one I had relit in the alcove followed. "'Steady on,' I said. "'Those candles are wanted.' Speaking with a half-hysterical voice and scratching away at a match the while for the mantel candlesticks, my hands trembled so much that twice I missed the rough paper of the matchbox. As the mantle emerged from darkness again, two candles in the remoter at the end of the window were eclipsed. But with the same match, I also relit the larger mirror candles and those on the floor near the doorway, so that for the moment I seemed to regain the upper hand. But then, in a volley, there vanquished four lights at once in different corners of the room, and I struck another match in quivering haste, and stood hesitating whether to take it. As I stood undecided, an invisible hand seemed to sweep out the two candles on the table. With a cry of terror, I dashed at the alcove, then into the corner, and then to the window, relighting three, as two more vanished by the fireplace. Then, perceiving a better way, I dropped the matches on the iron-bound deed box in the corner, and caught up the bedroom candlestick. With this, I avoided the delay of striking matches, but for all that the steady process of extinction went on, and the shadows I feared and fought against returned, and crept in upon me, 
first a step gained on this side of me, and then on that. It was like a ragged storm cloud sweeping out the stars. Now and then one returned for a minute, and was lost again. I was now almost frantic with the horror of the oncoming darkness, and my self-possession deserted me. I leapt, panting and disheveled from candle to candle, in a vain struggle against that remorseless advance. I bruised myself on the thigh against the table. I sent a chair headlong. I stumbled and fell and whisked the cloth from the table in my fall. My candle rolled away from me, and I snatched another as I rose. Abruptly, this was blown out, and as I swung it off the table by the wind of my sudden movement, and immediately the two remaining candles followed. But there was still light in the room, a red light that staved off the shadows from me. The fire! Of course, I could still thrust my candle between the bars and relight it. I turned to where the flames were still dancing between the glowing coals and splashing red reflections upon the furniture, made two steps towards the grate, and incontently the flames dwindled and vanished. The glow vanished. The reflections rushed together and vanished. As I thrust the candle between the bars, darkness closed upon me like the shutting of an eye, wrapped about me in a stifling embrace, sealing my vision and crushed the last vestiges of reason from my brain. The candle fell from my hand. I flung my arms out in a vain effort to thrust that ponderous blackness away from me, and, lifting up my voice, screamed with all my might. Then, I think I must have staggered to my feet. I know I thought suddenly of the moonlit corridor, and, with my head bowed and my arms over my face, made a run for the door. But I had forgotten the exact position of the door and struck myself heavily against the corner of the bed. I staggered back, turned, and was either struck or struck myself against some other bulky furniture. I have a vague memory of battering myself thus, to and fro in the darkness, of a cramped struggle, and of my own wild crying as I darted to and fro, from a heavy blow at last upon my forehead, a horrible sensation of falling that lasted an age, of my last frantic effort to keep my footing, and then I remember no more. I opened my eyes in daylight. My head was roughly bandaged, and the man with the withered arm was watching my face. He looked at me, trying to remember what had happened, and for a space I could not recollect. I rolled my eyes into the corner and saw the old woman, no longer abstracted, pouring out some drops of medicine from a little blue vial into a glass. Where am I? I asked. I seem to remember you, and yet I cannot remember who you are. They told me then, and I heard of the haunted bedroom as one who hears a tale. We found you at dawn, said he. There was blood on your forehead and lips. It was very slowly I recovered my memory of the experience. You believe now, said the old man, that the room is haunted? He spoke no longer as one who greets an intruder, but one who grieves for a broken friend. Yes, said I, the room is haunted. And you have seen it, and we who have lived here all our lives have never set eyes upon it, because we have never dared. Tell us. Is it truly the old Earl? 
No, said I, it is not. I told you, said the old lady, with a glass in hand. It is his poor young countess who was frightened. It is not, I said. There is neither ghost of Earl nor ghost of Countess in that room. There is no ghost in there at all, but worse, far worse. Well, they said. The worst of all things that haunt poor mortal men, said I. And that is, in all its nakedness, fear that would not have light nor sound, that would not bear with reason, that deafens and darkens and overwhelms. It followed me through the corridor. It fought against me in the room. I stopped abruptly. There was an interval of silence. My hand went up to my bandages. Then the old man with the shade sighed and spoke. That it is, said he. I knew that was it. A power of darkness. To put such a curse upon a woman. It always lurks there. You can feel it even in the daytime. Even of a bright summer's day in the hangings, in the curtains, keeping behind you whenever you face about. In the dusk, it creeps along the corridor and follows you so that you dare not turn. There's fear in that room of hers, black fear, and there will be so long as this house endures. Well, well, wasn't that just a scream? Until next time, our fiendish friends, remember to stay scared, and sometimes it's more than just a story. <laughs>